0: This episode of Let's Think On It comes from an excerpt from O Brother Radio with Will Lockamy, Reed Lockamy, and Dr. Mark Westfall. This one's a super interesting one because last year we had discussion days after, it was November 10th, so two days after the presidential election, um, Jeff Thomas, who had voted for Donald Trump, was here then. You can go back and hear that whole show. He joined us last hour to kind of catch back up and talk about how, how we can agree to disagree and maybe still get along. So how do you think it went, Dr. Mark?
1: Uh, I, you know, I thought it went okay. I mean, I, I feel like, um, uh, again, come back to the point that we have to keep talking. Both sides have to keep sitting down and getting to know each other as individuals and understand what the other side's thinking. If your goal is to have the other person think like you, you're not going to succeed. There are basic differences in the way people formulate their ideas about society and morals. They're not right or wrong. They're different. They're right and left. And if you are trying to convince the other person then you're, you're approaching it with the wrong goal in mind. If you're approaching it to try to understand the other person and then share your understanding with them and realize that you think differently, and how can we then, with our differences, come up with something that moves our common goal along, which is our society and our government, which needs some repair. If we can figure out, okay, you think this way, I think this way, but how can we use those two together to move something forward? It's kind of like the positive and negative poles on a battery. One's not, you can't, you can't have just one pole. The battery didn't work. The battery being our society. You've got to have both poles, but they have to work together. And so to me, that's what this embodies is continuing to have these discussions, to continue to understand how people think, not to change their mind, but to understand their mind and
0: their heart. Here's something that, and I've written about this, and I've told you about this. Um, I am all about, all day long, having discussions about policy and why you think this policy is good, why I disagree, or vice versa, right? What I can't do is have a productive discussion on was Obama born in Kenya or not. I can't do that. We have to start based in reality. In fact, then we can have a productive talk. If, if the talk is coming from Breitbart or coming from some crazy liberal site where things just aren't based in reality, then you're not going to get off to a productive start and it's never going to get there. So that's kind of my thing. I'm not saying that happened with Jeff. I'm saying just in general that's been an issue I've seen uh, with there being a lack of productive talks over the last year.
1: So if the currently i think that both we talked about this in the last hour i think we're getting misinformation on both sides or focus on the wrong information both sides being left right extremes on the media um so how are you going to have a conversation how are you going to move society along if you think well they're not informed so i can't talk with them because how are you going to i don't know yeah how are you going to change that i expect you to tell me that well let's see you know i got to guess maybe he's going to teach us how to do it maybe so (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so let's introduce with that Fred Shepard Fred oh, welcome back oppression. to the show right, right. Uh, Fred is a political scientist uh, professor at Sanford, right uh, maybe you can introduce yourself a little bit more of what your specific interests are or whatnot, if that helps uh. sure
2: sure I'm, I'm the chair and a professor at Department of Political Science at Samford uh, I'm in my 25th, 25th year there um, my interest is uh, generally a little more on the international side of things but also in terms of how um, You know, groups get along and don't get along as as far as issues like human rights and genocide. So, uh, but uh, of course, everyone's intensely interested in what's going on in
0: the uh, US political system right now. No doubt, no doubt. More interested than we are. (laughs) No, I mean, I I have, I've met um, folks from other countries over the last year or here on the show. And every time I'm like, well, what do you think? What's going on? And it's always just like, well, first it was funny. That was their answer. Like, first, we just thought, ha-ha, silly America. And they're like, now we're kind of scared about what's going on. And I was like, yeah, maybe that was kind of, well, I don't know that I ever thought, ha-ha. Yeah.
1: Well, Fred, are we the only country that's going through some of these uh, struggles? No,
2: we're, we're uh, right there. Uh, I think we have a, a kind of a more flamboyant uh, representation of it right now with our president. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is happening everywhere. I was actually over in London for a semester a year and a half ago, and they were going through the whole Brexit thing. And so this is happening. uh, You you, you can pick out places where it's a little more intense at the moment. We're one of those right now. Uh, But this is happening uh, everywhere. And when you say this, what is this?
1: What is happening everywhere?
2: Yeah, I think there's a vague sense of uh, unhappiness and need for change. I I happen to think partly this is my bias, and I partly think it's just true, that we had a pretty good uh, eight years. Um, On the other hand, there's this perception that we needed some kind of change after two terms of a, a democratic president, so uh, I, I think if you look objectively at it, um, there wasn't a pressing need for some kind of dramatic change. But uh, that's how maybe 46 percent of
1: the population felt. Uh, and why? I mean, I mean that's a yeah. pretty large number. Yeah. To think there needs to be change. Do you, I mean, what are your thoughts on why 46 percent of the population felt there needed to be a change? What 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 do they? F- frustrated with.
2: Yeah, I think there, you know, the economy is, is always a big part of it, and uh, we, we recovered pretty well, thanks to the previous administration, from the, 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 the real crisis, and, and I'm not exaggerating there, the crisis of 2007, 2008. Uh, on the other hand, a lot of people were left behind. You know, I grew up in Michigan, and we had that same feeling back in the 70s, as the auto industry was kind of fading away, and there were some real structural problems, and people react in different ways to that. Sometimes it's a kind of a progressive left-wing thing. Other times it's sort of an inward-looking, um, populist um, thing. And I think uh, uh, Donald Trump and his advisors picked up on that really well, and he did really well in, in that
1: part of the country, my mm-hmm. old, my old stomping grounds. Right. We talked. Uh, uh, we've talked about that in a previous podcast before. Yeah. With, yeah. Um, that they really picked up on the struggling. Aspect of that part of the country and resonated with them with people who typically would have voted traditionally Democrat. Is that right?
2: Yeah, well, those are some really divided states, but you know, the irony is these people who are struggling and their average median wage has not increased uh, Who do they put in power? Donald Trump Uh, It's a sort of a classic case of uh, um, A very successful effort on the part of Trump to convince these people that this type of person was the solution to these problems That if you step back and think what
0: were they really thinking? People are not going to like this, but he's a con man. And I mean that in the definition of the word, he's a confidence man. He made all these people have confidence in him that maybe was not justified. Uh, That's what a con man is. And I, I said that from the beginning, I went out, you know, I set out to, I had to write a piece the morning after the election. And that was my whole premise was like, Oh my gosh, you just elected a con man. And then I realized like I sounded, I sounded like a jerk. So I went back and kind of rewrote it and made it happy and fluffy. And eh, maybe this won't be so bad. But that's exactly what I think he is as a con man.
2: And there's a there's kind of a long history of, of, of figures like this who um, uh, package themselves well and tell people what they want to hear, don't really offer a solution, a comprehensive solution to what's going on. And I think people maybe are starting to realize that. Uh, and, and to his credit, he's he's not a typical classic, Politician, and so I think even a lot of his supporters weren't quite sure that he would be able to come in and push things through and think things out carefully. That's really not the way he works.
0: Yeah, which I was all about yeah. um, having someone who is not a typical politician. I think probably the whole country would want that. Yeah. Um, I think my issue was that he was also not qualified. So you need to have somebody who at least uh, is qualified, and you know may not get the country into a nuclear war within the first year. That that That's important.
1: So hearing both of you, it's fair to say that neither of you uh, are very are Trump supporters. That's correct. <laughs> right. Correct. Um, what I'd like to ask is how, what was, what's going on internationally and with our country that there's this divide um, and this feeling of a need for change, even though Fred, you're saying you, you felt like there really wasn't that, uh, if you look at it objectively, you didn't think there was much need for change. Why was it felt so strongly, Um, and am I wrong to think that Bernie was pretty popular because even people on the left felt there needed to be change? Right. I think, too, again, um, a lot
2: of the things that the Obama administration was trying to do and and was not successful because they didn't control Washington 100 percent, you know, they were up against an opposition party, a lot of the things that, that they were trying to do actually systematically addressed some of these issues but they weren't able to push them through. Now, blame that on the Republicans. Blame it on Obama. There was this effort. Now, what's happening is the Trump administration has come in and has stripped a bunch of those things. Some of the things they succeeded with and other things they were trying to
1: do and were making some progress, they've reversed all that. kept teach me, and maybe others listening, give me an example of something that the the uh, was being— altered with the Obama administration that would have maybe been helpful in this that we didn't really as maybe as general folks walking around like me that really don't have a clue of what was going on? Maybe the
2: Consumer Product Safety Commission, you know, a response to the the financial crisis and an effort to kind of empower individuals and consumers as they were dealing with fraudulent banks and things like that. So what were they doing? Oh, they were helping people deal with credit card companies and they were helping deal people deal with fraudulent oh I think the wells fargo thing um and so there was this real effort to put a put an institution in place that would help the little guy deal with these uh these powerful companies and um that's that's really on the chopping block right now
1: do you think it was partly a um, i don't know i guess an inability to get the message out as to what he was doing to the to yeah. the common consumer, I mean, was it a was it a marketing issue really? Yeah, well, you know,
2: the, the, the president could give great speech. Uh, president Obama could give great speeches and all that, but there was a sense that he didn't quite market his the details of what he did as well as he could have. Um, but it also resonated that this was a Washington institution, this consumer um, uh, anti-fraud financial thing, um, and. Um, it did resonate the idea, oh, this is just Washington regulating our companies and our businesses more. and trying to. It's a power grab by Washington. And I would argue that was not the case at all. But the way that, that a, a figure like Trump could, could phrase it, that resonated with a lot of folks.
1: What do you think? Uh, well, actually, let's go to one other thing. So this is probably a weird segment uh, or segue. You're. Um, I asked you to do the same homework that the other guys did, yep. right? Yep. So, one of the questions I asked was three things you think uh, Trump uh, has not done well, and three things he's done well.
0: What, what's your. Do, do we need a break before you answer that? No, no, no. We're good. Okay. <laughs> <coughs> there's just a, Sorry. There's a laundry list of policies from the Obama administration that have just been. Reverse some seemingly out of spite. So I got I, I got knee deep in going through the list over here. Gotcha. Sorry. Gotcha. Right.
2: Well, and there, there's kind of a personal side to this that that a lot of this doesn't make sense except for the sense of personal animosity between um, President Trump and his and his predecessor.
1: Which does that not also speak though to me to what I think the average person is fed up with in Washington is that that's kind of how Congress and the House are. It's like one side or the other. To me, that I felt like. When talking to people they were more frustrated not with the leader as much as the house and congress and and senate and and that it was like well okay because obama was the person of change when he came through people were going to think okay he's going to get you know both sides working together and to me it's more of a frustration with the politics as usual as opposed to necessarily the person in charge is that am i off base on that I think in a vague sense, that's absolutely true yeah. okay. a general, at the, the most general level. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. Yep. which is kind of where most of us in the U.S. live is we're not deep into the to, to the, uh, the knowledge base that you have behind yeah. the politics panel. All right, so back to my rudimentary question, which uh, was to the ire of Will. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, three things you think Trump's done well, three things he has not done well. Okay, I racked my brain. <laughs>
2: I love the words you here. came up with. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I came up with two things that I give him credit for. Okay. I had trouble coming up with a third. Okay. Um, uh, his focus on infrastructure. We, um, you just see this everywhere. I was in Washington D.C. over the weekend. You see it there in our nation's capital, and you see it here. You know, I, I run over some of those uh, viaducts, and you know, those things are crumbling. Um, so focus on infrastructure is a great idea. It's a win-win. It boosts the economy in a big way. And if we want to be a modern, leading country, uh, we need a state-of-the-art infrastructure, and we just don't have it right now.
0: I completely agree with that, by the way. My take on it has been that it has been a little bit more talking points than action. That's my problem. I think that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Which,
1: in is that because he's not following through or because it's difficult to get through... You know the pol- political side of things
2: i mean I, I think there is a centrist Donald Trump. Um, the people he's put in into positions of power um, are not centrists. Um, it's either kind of a hard right ideological um, group like Mike Pence, or it's a conservative faction of the business world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the most recent example is is Wilbur Ross, Secretary of Commerce, who has all these tight ties to Russia that are just coming out right now. So uh, in theory and in his campaign, there was kind of a centrist Mm -hmm. theme. And uh, sometimes it was drowned out, sometimes it was kind of split, but that's not materializing in his administration
1: at all. And and do you think he, uh, I said in the first hour, I don't think you were here to hear it, but, Uh, Natalie Davis kind of informed us in the past you know you're familiar with her professor Mm -hmm. at B.S. uh, Birmingham Southern that getting the primary nomination uh, ends up pushing people to their extreme of their party and so do you think that before they hit the general election and so we get these extremist positions because they got to get to the primaries do you think that he kind of built up this machine so to speak of far right to get elected even though he's kind of centrist in his own thoughts maybe and that now it's hard to turn that machine off it got such you know, momentum, that he's like, okay, now now he's a victim of his own marketing? I think, too, that his personality was such a big
2: part of the general election that he almost felt policies were beside the point. Mm -hmm. And the election, both for him and against him, was so much about his personality that he never really developed any kind of uh, platform or general election ideology that he then had to live up to. Yeah, yeah, he's just in the reality TV show and I think too what you talked about at the national level with the president is even more fierce in Congress that that the the districts in Congress are so gerrymandered Mm -hmm. that you've got to win the primary you don't have to worry about the general election now you have to win the primary and winning the primary means going hard right or to a certain extent hard left
1: gotcha yeah. Okay. All right, so point one was uh, infrastructure. Yeah. What's next? Um, that he's brought out
2: some—he's he, he's focused a bit on some of the hypocrisies of the Republican Party. Um, now, he's brought that out, and, and you can see that, um, but he really hasn't taken any steps to deal with it. So, so um, you know, some of the—especially the more conservative social hypocrisies— um, those have come out because of what's Trump, what Trump is doing. Now, he hasn't taken the next step and done anything
0: mm-hmm. to address them or mm-hmm. to combat them. Again, yeah, that's the thing. It's all just talking points from my point of view because these things that like, oh, yeah, in theory, that's a good thing. But one, it's the pot calling the kettle black. And yeah. two, you've done nothing about any of it. Yeah. And like, you know, as Jeff said, and I'll, I don't have to re-say it, um, but when Jeff said "Oh, he's calling out politicians, that's great. I was like, yeah, but he's like calling them names and calling them, right. you and, know, calling John McCain uh, calling him out when really when you vote against a health care bill that again 88 percent of the country is against maybe that's just john mccain doing what he thinks right, right is right 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 cool. okay. okay um here you want to take a quick break and we'll come yeah, back yeah, and talk sounds about good. you yeah, yeah. That. Okay. uh hanging out with dr mark westfall um fred shepherd as well from sanford this is a very enjoyable talk we got 30 more minutes here on the show where did we leave off? We, we said things that. So he was,
1: uh, yeah, Fred gave the two things that he thought Trump has done well, which uh, I knew would be, a, I won't say difficult, but maybe a challenge. So, what are the th- three things you think he's not done well? What do you okay. think the, are the three issues that uh, concern you the most about uh, his administration so far? Well, he came in promising to drain the swamp, and um,
2: I think he's done the opposite. Um, you know Washington is, is a problematic place and some of this stuff is perennial it's going to be there regardless of who's president I think he's made things worse um, one of the most blatant examples is the, uh, the, the drug czar he was going to appoint was the guy who w- pushed through this legislation that completely made it difficult for the, the FDA to, um, to crack down on the opioid crisis and he sort of had the nerve to pull out this congressman who was uh, if if a single person in this country had done more to make it difficult to deal with the opioid opioid crisis it was this guy fortunately there was a big outrage there was some really good journal investigative journalism I was gonna
0: that say, was done say thanks to a, a column that yeah. was put out
2: yeah and so um, that to me is just an example and and wilbur ross the uh, commerce secretary um, having all these inve- off offshore investments and
0: by the time the show airs he may not be the commerce that's secretary. right that's right we'll see
2: <laughs> um, and so he's, he's made it worse. Uh, the, the whole emoluments, where, where he has, again, he has not revealed his financial interests because he continues to refuse to, to uh, put out his tax returns. We just don't know. And he's got all these interests. Russia is sort of the, the lightning rod kind of issue, but it's everywhere. And, and, and this is just a whole added dimension of, of corruption that we tended not to have with presidents before. So he hasn't done anything to crack down on the swamp. And he's just made it worse. So that would be one really important thing: um, his divisiveness, uh, and this was part of his campaign. And you know, some of his behavior was just just immature and inexcusable. And um, I, he continues to do it. And so much of of some, his policies seems about spite and about pettiness. And so that's a, a second thing. And then my 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 area of real kind of policy interest is foreign policy, and he's dismantling. I think eight years of of policy, and I, I would say uh, seventy years of policy, um, uh, with some of the things he's doing. And uh, give me, let's give us, uh, give the listeners an example. Our relationships with with Europe, for instance. It's you know you can you can see some differences between us and Europe, and you can see some problems with how Europe approaches things. But uh, to systematically alienate our longest allies uh, is just. Just crazy. Um, the the I, he's backed off a little bit on cozying up to to Russia, um, but that's that's a huge problem. I am I am a quarter Russian, and I I you know I I'm proud of that. But the the way way we're approaching Russia right now is is crazy. It, it does not serve our national interests. Um, cozying up with dictators around the world. No interest in pushing human rights. So I could go on and on. But that's the kind of a- area I know best. And if you just look at the substance, forget the style, forget uh, the way he does things. Just look at the substance, and it's been a disaster. Uh, with The hollowing out the State Department. You talk with a lot of people in the military, and they're, they are disgusted with what's happening because they need good diplomacy. They need good foreign policy makers. And... Uh, on about three or four different levels, uh, the administration
1: is weakening our fo- our foreign policy makers. So you s- you seem very passionate about these concerns. Yeah. What do you think um, would be helpful to educate or promote change? Yeah, it's from, it's, this, it's, from this point forward. It's it's very polarized so far. One of the
2: kind of depressing answers to that is to just let the Trump administration roll out their policies, and and then let, them, let the real break on that be the next elections. Um, but that's partly based on the idea that they'll be so ineffective and alienate so many people that that's the only response, and it'll be obvious. And that's sort of a sad thing to have to say. But the other, the encouraging thing, though, is that our very divided and I mean this in a good way, Our a very divided and sort of separated political system, is, is putting the brakes on some of the things that the Trump administration
1: is trying to do. So this system that is, we talked about, is kind of uh, broken or so divided that people can't even agree on anything. You're saying may have a common um, uh, obstacle in yeah, Trump? And, yeah, and let me just say that I,
2: I think I mean divided in a slightly different way, not red-blue, but the fact that we've got, you know, the two houses of Congress, we have a— a very st- oh, you mean the balance, exactly. the checks and balances about and, and gotcha. the role of the courts, and the separation between national and local I politics. So our, our system
1: is working, you're saying, or hopefully, yeah, we'll <laughs> work. ish. Yeah, right, right, working
2: it, ish. It, it's slowing things down a little bit. Do
1: you think? Uh, so, and I hope so. I think that I think that has been to me one of the, the uh, reassuring things about this whole process. And I'm a process kind of person. I don't know the details nearly like you do on on the the, the uh, politics part of it. Or the policies part of it, I should say, um, is that our process seems to be still working, and um, even in spite of how strongly people feel about on either side of this, that our our system is still a pretty good system so far. Um, back to what I thought you were saying, although it wasn't. Do you think there is any phenomenon going on? And I'm because this gets kind of kind of to the group dynamics of things. Is there any um uh, you know I talk about uh groups can come together when they have a common enemy, so to speak, and that may be a strong word, but a common goal really um do you think that Trump's demeanor and his um his approach has any way of of having the two blue red sides having to work a little bit together to figure out how can we how can we handle this?
2: I think nothing's impossible, but I would say his his persona is exactly
1: the wrong kind of persona. For that. I agree. He's yeah. not. He he doesn't. He's not someone who brings people together. He's divisive. I, I totally agree with that approach. But do you think, ironically, that even that approach may may backfire and actually bring the parties together to say, "Wait a minute, this has gotten a little extreme, even for our side. We
0: gotta we gotta come up, somehow mute this a little bit." I felt like that was going to happen with Jeff Flake with that speech he gave, and then, man, it just nothing. Not one person came out in support of him. But when he gave that speech, it was huge. I mean, that was a Republican congressman standing up and saying, I can't sit here and listen to him lie each day and to denounce things like freedom of the press. I can't do this any longer. And you really felt, I don't know, I did. I felt like, man, this is going to be a time when the parties are going to kind of come together and agree, like, yeah, and nobody stood up and supported him.
2: Yeah, so, so one of the answers to your question, I think, is a really kind of simple answer, and it d- depends on Republicans, especially in the Senate, but also in the House, uh, if Trump goes too far, and, and who knows what that could be, uh, when they will peel off, if they will peel off, when they will peel off. There's this, sort of this euphoria now among you uh, Republicans that, hey, we control the levers of power, and we've we've... We haven't, been, we haven't had this for eight years, so we're going to push and we're going to try to be unified and we're going to su- try to support our president. A few of them are peeling off. Um, and, you know, if you look at the potential splits among Republicans, there, there, there are three or four of them that are really important and could be important and always come out when Republicans are in charge. And, you know, they are economic policies, social policies, and foreign policy, uh, but they haven't come out yet. And they're still sticking with Trump for the most part. That's not going uh, to Sticking forever. with Trump with their votes, you're saying? Yeah, even though, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and really being pretty reluctant to say anything publicly. A few folks have done it. but They're leaving
0: office. Yeah,
2: and think of the well, numbers that have not done
1: it. So, so that's a great point. So the people, and even Jeff mentioned the same thing. So they seem to do it when they leave office. They seem to yeah. say, speak their mind, so to speak. Um, why is that? why are they because it's clearly that even the ones that are leaving office felt this way but they didn't say it until they're leaving office what's what's going on with our political system that, that that occurs that people can have have significant concerns about the leader and not say anything
2: yeah i think uh well first of all it's the same political party and it, actually if you I won't bore you too much with this, but if you look at some other systems, parties are absolutely in line all the time in some other democratic system. That's not the way ours is. But to a certain extent, you will stick with your party. You know, you, that's what got you there. It's the main way that we organize our, our politics. So they will stick with their party. But uh, President Trump is a real test of this. And so far, the overwhelming majority are sticking with them. And, you know, they want to cut taxes. Uh, I would add for the wealthy, uh, they want to get Supreme Court justices in, and it's, a lot of people are calculating. It's I'm, I'm a little bit embarrassed by him. Um, I don't like his lifestyle, et cetera, et cetera. But I think he can help us push this stuff through. <laughs> Mike Pence is the vice president. You know, that type of thing. So you know, we can get this stuff through
1: despite having mixed feelings about this yeah. president. So you, to me, it sounds like it's group dynamics 101. I mean. People once they select a group tend to stay in that group, and the, and they tend to make decisions that keep them in the group, and they tend to be resistant to saying anything against the group, even if they start to feel that way. Um, it's a it's very um, uh, it's it's very vulnerable to go against the group. It's in our DNA not to go against whatever group we've selected initially. It's like the tribal mentality that we talked about earlier. Um, but when but obviously things. Do change within a group over time, and when it when it occurs, it occurs very um, initially very gradually, but then it can kind of cascade and become a um, uh, a domino effect once it occurs. And so, you know, you're talking about just like one or two people are starting to say something negative, and and you may feel like, well, like you said, uh, Will, about the the interview about um, the a Flake incident, that right. you thought it was going to be kind of this cascade. You're waiting on the dominoes to fall, and. My thought is, you know, just because they didn't fall then doesn't mean it's not changing. That every every time that happens, it's still something, something when the system is changing and the group is really struggling. And I think Fred, you meant, you've described it well that you know the Republicans are 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 currently taking the momentum of having the majority and uh, having um, all the power. But you know what might occur, you know, down the road to change that, and we don't know. I mean, maybe something will occur. They'll say, okay, now I've got to speak out because if you the thing that will change a group is if a if an if a another leader within the same group starts speaking out, you can get it, the shift can be dramatic. Um, it's kind of like I think of it like uh, you know a school of fish or birds hmm. uh, and a flock. You know they'll follow the one in the lead, but once one of them shifts, if you get this this uh, momentum, once it shifts, it's dramatic. It's like they they shift. It looks like they shift um, you know, instantaneously, but it really is a gradual thing behind the scenes.
0: And let's not act like Flake is uh, like a middle-of-the-road or left-leaning Republican. He's Mike Pence's best friend. He's I mean, continuing to vote yeah. for things. Yeah. 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 And again, I mean, he, yeah. we'll say he's one of Mike Pence's best friends. So, so. There's that. Um, let's not take a break again because I just think this is too good. So you're listening to O Brother Radio, Dr. Mark Westfall hanging out, Fred Shepard as well. This hour of O Brother is brought to you by Good People Brewing Company, Good People Brewing, the most happening named business in Birmingham. Yeah, I would add, too, that I think it's partly they finally got their their hands on the
2: executive branch. But there's also this kind of still this euphoria about surviving the Obama administration and then defeating Hillary Clinton. Mm -hmm. And so there's still this sense that Trump was able to do this. And we're going to stick with this guy who stuck it to uh, the the Clintons and the Obamas. And that's, you know, they've got a couple of years worth of loyalty, I think, for doing that. Because I think a lot of the dynamics that you're talking about is, is this is a group that rightly or wrongly thought of themselves as sort of victimized um, by the Clintons and, and the Obamas. And now they're, they're back in power. And again, this goes back a little bit to the feeling of kind of spite for some of these policies, but also the reality that there's, they've got a lot of work to do to reverse all the things that, that uh, what, those two families those those two very very effective group of Democratic politicians
1: did for for a couple decades. Um, Well, (coughs) we've got a few more minutes left, right? We do, yeah, yeah. So uh, let me ask this. Will, knowing what you know about Professor Shepard, where do you think he scored on the uh, different categories of the Moral Foundation's
0: questionnaire, the harm, fairness, loyalty, authority, and purity? Hmm. Well, I would assume we would score have pretty similar scores although again I do think I'm understood the authority one
1: but you think his about. score is gonna be more similar to yours or
0: Jeff's well I would think more similar to mine yeah. but okay the way so you're asking that makes me think that I'm incorrect about that no I think you're correct <laughs> but why do you think they're more similar to yours well you know uh, we've yet to disagree on anything exactly so yeah all right so do you uh, do you have your scores handy?
2: I was having trouble getting on online a second ago, but I'm, I'm pulling it up right now. Okay.
1: Uh, we can come back to it some other time if I um, can can't pull it up.
2: So, but, um, no, I think that as I looked at those questions, the I was very insistent on uh, strongly agreeing with uh, the affirmative comments about my group and my beliefs. And I tried to be a little more moderate in disagreeing with, in, in crit- critiquing the... Um, People who disagreed with me
1: in general. Did you tend to, to? Did your scores tend to go blue or red? Blue. Yeah.
2: Yeah. No question. But you know, it's funny because I have a lot of friends who are are policy people and they're in the political. And you know, I'm an educator, and right. I work at Sanford, which is. I think my students actually span the spectrum pretty well in my classes and in my department. Um, Campus wide, it's a pretty conservative place, and so that's part of my daily routine is trying to educate and trying to interact with folks who think different differently from what I do and who are often very thoughtful and very Sanford's a very respectful place um, who are very respectful about it so uh, I'm a little different I think from some other people that I ha- share the same views with as far as how I approach you know trying to influence minds and things that type of thing what is th- what is the classroom like?
1: What are students
2: like on this issue? Um. Well, Sanford is, con- is 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 unique because it's pretty conservative, but it's a very a collegial, friendly place, and the idea that you would get in other people's faces about things um, that just that's not part of the culture. Um, there's also, of course, a, a a strong Christian element, and so of course some of the the Christian energy went into supporting Trump but a lot of folks just it was you know responded to his lifestyle and his personal and they there's no way they could support that so it's sort of an interesting campus that regard in that regard politically
0: that was one thing that really did blow me away was the support from the evangelical Christians for Donald Trump a guy who clearly a guy who clearly has just I don't know it's not my place to judge, I guess. Yes. Well, but, it, but, I mean, it has the guy even read? I mean, he didn't know the names of, like, very common uh, right. books of the Bible. Right. You know, like, well, this is the guy, the guy that's been accused of sexual harassment, you know, over and over, and uh, has been pretty flamboyant about his extramarital affairs and stuff. Again, I'm not judging. I don't care. I was surprised that the evangelical Christians took on,
2: like, that's our guy. And Why? Well, I think there was the, the you know the Hillary Clinton's link to her husband, and so there was the idea. Well, these are both immoral, immoral, unchristian people. Um, but yeah, it's it's pretty remarkable. Um, and and again, you go back to the Supreme Court, and the, his links to the Republican Party, having Mike Pence as his vice president. So there was enough there to pull out. But yeah, the 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 personal life of of the top figure is it's a tough one to get through. And. And it was it was surprising. I've never
0: seen people just, eh, no big deal to yeah. so many things, like so many outlandish. I don't know what has made him so different that, I mean, think of things that have brought down other politicians, saying a wrong word at an event or, you know, yeah. doing a dance that people thought was goofy and like, hey, I can't take this guy seriously. Right. And you have uh, Trump who day after day, hour after hour was doing these outlandish things. And people were like, yeah, but still he's not a politician. So can't blame him. Yeah. Things that you would be ashamed of if your parent or your child child. Yeah. My, Um, my eight and six year old, I would be, you know, they would be in trouble if they said any, a 10th of the things that the president said. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I hear you. Why? Why, why
1: did, this phenomenon occur why did people um why, why was that not enough to push people away why did he why did he get away with that when as you say well other
0: other uh, politicians haven't what's the phenomenon going on i think there was misinformation a lot of misinformation i think now that's being proven that there was misinformation but are you saying that you
1: think people voted for him and and to not vote for hillary
0: yeah. I guess.
1: Okay, well, when you say misinformation, I, I thought you were just going to say that people didn't know some of these things that
0: were said about him. I, I think people heard those things. Oh, no, of, they, heard they heard all heard that. They just also heard things that were incorrect about other candidates.
2: Yeah, I think, too, it's it's kind of a tribute to the brilliance as a campaigner of President Obama. He, he was a kind of a once-in-a-lifetime a politician in that regard, and I just think the Democrats were not able to meet that standard in 2016. And you also get the taint, of, which, which is really kind of unfair and tra- almost tragic, uh, the, the taint uh, of Hillary Clinton from her husband's behavior. And that's just such a sad message that this highly qualified um, figure who would have broken the glass ceiling uh, was pulled down by her husband's uh, personal behavior. But that I think that was part, and you just get this tremendous animosity toward uh, Hillary Rodham Clinton. Um, I mean, just, just the vehemence, and there's still it's still there, um, and you see uh, the president go back to that quite often when things get a little tough for him. Uh, so I would say that's a big part of it.
1: Why was there such animosity? I mean, it's interesting because it sounds dichotomous. I mean, Will, you're saying that on one side there. I might disagree with you. I'm just trying to understand more what's going on in the psyche of the our culture um so they're ignoring some very horrendous things that Trump has done and said, and yet we're saying that that's those same traits remotely in Bill Clinton affected
0: hillary's nomina- hillary's vote so
1: how, does that, how do you get both of those phenomena uh, going on in
0: the same election? I could be incorrect about this, but I think it goes back to the talks we've had about inherent bias and brain bias, and I think that our society is more sexist than we'd like to admit, right. or that we even do admit to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're more racist than we'd like to admit, and I think that he played on those. And he, he went and struck a chord with people that didn't even realize they had these things in them, and... We're seeing that again, like we talked about. Professor uh, Shep- Shepard said it's not happening just here; it's all over the world. Yeah, and I, I think
2: that's the easy, straightforward explanation: um, the, the the racial angle with the treatment of President Obama, and the gender angle with the treatment of Hillary Clinton. And that ex- that doesn't explain everything. I think there's more more going on than those two things. But those two things are are tremendously yeah. important backdrop.
1: I I I would say that. I do think that he resonated with some of those implicit biases.
0: Hmm, implicit. Yeah, sorry. I yeah. said in here.
1: But I think, I, I do not think that every that 40, whatever many percent of the population voted for him are racist and misogynist. I think that if you go back to me, one of the things that made people Fearful of the other side I think that's really what's going on They're, they're angry and they're fearful of The other side Is a, a, um, I think he resonated with an underlying fear Which is this um, uh, Globalization versus nationalization And I think To me that is more of the basis Of what people are voting on now Or, or parties are aligning themselves with Than even Than, than race or gender It's the fear of of change, Um, and that, you know, that you talk about borders, you talk about immigration policy, you talk about, you know, the um, terrorism, all that stuff. I think there's a a fear, and he resonated with that fear on topics that, you know, are implicitly biased, okay? I think he used those, that implicit bias, but I think the underlying is a fear that we're going to, that somehow our way of life is being challenged. Or, or and for the people in the Rust Belt, the fear that, can't, that, that they can't pay their bills. Uh, so I think I think he resonated with fear more than anything. I don't think we're a nation of, of racist and bigamist and, and uh, misogynist. I mean, I think we're just. I, I do think that is there more than we would like to say, implicit bias wise. But I think he resonated with with fear that's probably unfounded. I don't know. Uh, last words, Fred, on that. Yeah, well, I, I think he was
2: able to almost create a sense of crisis when in fact things were going pretty well you know our economy could have been going better it could have been more equal but he was able to create a sense of crisis and then he capitalized on that feeling of crisis to say this is this is the best response is to support me
0: yeah Good yeah. movie our brand is crisis did you see that
2: Yeah I haven't seen it but I've, I've read about it okay. yeah
0: yep. so much more to say but yeah sadly we are right up against the clock uh, Fred ever thank you so much for being here pleasure thanks, Fred. yep uh, Dr. Mark Westfall of course thank you thanks to Jeff Thomas as well you can catch all these again. Uh, wherever you find podcasts under the name Let's Think on It. To listen to Dr. Mark Westfall live, check out O Brother Radio on Birmingham Mountain Radio, 107.3 FM in Birmingham, 97.5 in Tuscaloosa, at bhammountainradio.com or on the free BMR app. Join in with your questions and comments on Twitter at Lockamy Brothers.